everybody, and welcome to an enlightening Wild Ride with Steve-O. Anybody who is a regular listener of this podcast knows how big of a deal this episode is. It is the author of the books that I rave about constantly called Conversations with God. And I call Neil Donald Walsh my life coach because from his books, I have developed my understanding of life and the universe. I'm telling you, this is my favorite guest. I was dying to get him. So uh, get ready and let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, my life coach, Neil Donald Walsh. I uh, have spoken so often about how much your books, Conversation with God, have have helped me. The most traumatic thing that ever um, I, I went through, my mom suffered an aneurysm and she survived it, but she came out heinously physically and mentally disabled and, and she had bed sores. I developed a, a real anger towards God. and. By changing my perspective to that, all of a sudden, God didn't allow that to happen to my mom. There's no separation there. That 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 was God. God, my mom is God, and so that um, that that helped a lot. It really, really did. It's still, you know, I, I would echo what you said. I don't understand it. I, you know, I don't. Uh, I don't I don't like it, but I think I view view it more as um, natural law of cause and effect. Like if uh, you know the, 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 I, my mom my mom had alcoholism, she smoked for many, many years, and I can understand that the you know consequences. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Do you believe? Do you believe in the existence of the human soul? Yes. Do you believe in the existence of this entity or this essence that we call God? Yes. Steve, what in your awareness is the relationship between the soul and God? They are one and the same. That, um. I mean, God in the absolute is is pure love. It's one thing, but being only one thing, it cannot have experience. So God in the absolute divides itself into you know many different things, which creates the realm of the relative. So, but all things are God. So let me ask you a question. Can God, as you understand God to be, be victimized in any way? That is, can anything happen to God that God does not want to have happen? No. If the soul is one with God, can anything happen to the soul that the soul does not want to have happen? Can the soul be victimized in any way? No. Then why would your mother's soul choose to experience what she experienced the last five years of her life? Um, 
That's a tough one. It, I, I don't know. I know, but if you thought you knew, if what, I, would you, what would your answer be? If I thought I knew... Um... I mean, it's, it feels like a stretch, but um, but the, the the journey that I went on from from being so traumatized by everything that happened, and then the shift in the perspective, and I mean, I, I don't know. There's there's something there's there's something about my journey in. Working through that and 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 overcoming it, that uh, that I could see has value. Steve, do you think at the soul level your mother might have known that that her situation and the condition in which she found herself would have an impact and an, and an effect on you that would change your life for the better? I could. I want you to consider the possibility then that your mother at the level of soul was not unaware or ignorant of the fact that I've just described and that her last five years and what she went through at a physical level was her final act of love for you. Mm. Yeah, it's... Um... It, I'll take it. It's a, it's a tough one, but but I'll I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> Does it have anything to do with like soul contracts? Precisely. I mean, that's her acting out her contract. Knowing that what I'm going to move through now will bring enormous benefit ultimately to my son and will open him to an awareness of so many different things that he would not have been open to if he hadn't been visited by that kind of emotional, emotionally traumatic experience in life. Mm -hmm. So what kind of an emotional traumatic experience could really open my son to an awareness that I already hold at a spiritual level? See, I think that your mom graduated uh, from her own misbehaviors at a spiritual level. Her soul knows, you know, that is not really the way to go. Not, not the way to make the best use of this physical life. I wonder how I could say that to my son, that he would really get it. Because if I just said it verbally, you know, <clears throat> Don't 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 do what I did, and so forth. And right. He would probably not. Yeah, okay, mom, and and then blow it off. But what if I found some way? In fact, what if we agreed ahead of time, soul contract, that we would have this opportunity for me to send that message to him in a way that would be so searingly present he couldn't possibly ignore it. Hmm. Huh. So <clears throat> I'm. I'm going to suggest that when I was told by God in my conversations there's no such thing as a coincidence, 
that nothing happens without a understanding reason and a part of all the, if I could put it this way, all the players in the game, all the actors in the scene. Then you could almost, at some level, release any lingering sadness you have about what your mom went through and see it as her act of courage, bravery, and her final act of love for you. And by the way, if your mom was sitting between us right now, she'd be saying, Neil, you nailed it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, she'd probably say something to the effect of like, that's what it took to get through his his Six fat, thick, stupid head. Or <laughs> she was always me uh, too. Me too, buddy. Yeah, shake hands on that. Me too. Right. It took me fifty-five years of my life to get through my thick skull. What was really going on here? Who I really am? What the purpose of this whole thing is? I mean, I blew off half a century of my life, not knowing. Yeah, I think a lot of people do that, and I think um, I think you can you can make great progress to figuring out who you are and, and what it's all about. And then you can just lose it. You can, it's, uh, it's glimpses that we see it in. And then those glimpses just fade into, I think I do that a lot. Yeah. I think uh, I kind of get, get to it and I feel like really plugged in and then I lose it. Uh, I, I do want to uh, ask about, um, soul contracts now not from conversations with god but from other sources i i've seen about um how the the soul contract it, it's it's a a blueprint for life and and kind of choosing what experiences we want to have in our body in order to work something out, have some experience and, and uh, evolve in, in a certain way. And in in putting together this this soul contract, this this blueprint for for a life, uh, at that point we're not in a body. We're we're so I suppose in between lives. We're we're a, a, a spiritual entity, you know and as that spiritual entity, I've heard that we will choose our parents. <clears throat> we'll, we'll choose our, we'll choose our parents. Um, we will um, make an outline for events that are uh, predetermined, which are going to shape the experience that we're going to have in in our life. And uh, and then when we when the when the agreement is is made. Uh, part of the agreement is that as we enter the body, as we incarnate as as a human, that we forget the whole deal, and then we're kind of because if we knew the deal, it would invalidate the experience. But my question is, how does the idea of a blueprint of a life contract with? Uh, things predetermined built into it how does that reconcile with free will how, how does that yeah how, how does that jive with free will yeah 
I wanted to ask this question so badly for the longest time. And I might add that I believe strongly if there is a blueprint for my life, then it involved figuring out the difference between wiping my butt and washing my butt because it is a big difference. Are you still using dry toilet paper to just smear poop all over your butthole? I mean, come on. You're out of your mind. You've got to get hip to the butt washing program from HelloTushy.com. This is revolutionary. It has changed my life, man. I love blasting my butthole with a refreshing stream of water from my bidet from Hello Tushy. I'm telling you, man, it cuts down on your use of toilet paper by 80%. And as such, the thing pays for itself in no time. It also doesn't require any special extra plumbing or any special electricity. You just attach it to your toilet and you're good to go. Plus, if you go to hellotushy.com slash stevo, then you get 10% off your first order. I've raved about this company since... Since the beginning of this podcast and I have always said they are my favorite sponsor of this podcast. It is hellotushy.com slash stevo and use the promo code stevo for 10% off your first order. Now let's get back to it. You said a number of things there that I wanted to interrupt you with or on when you said them but I I wanted to give you the chance to make your mistake. I mean, to, to go, go, go on. <laughs> I meant to go on with your statement. <laughs> I love it. Uh, first of all, knowing that you made, made some comment of knowing ahead of time what's going to happen, you said that one of the last things you said would. So we have to we have to forget. We have to agree to, to enter yeah. into temporary amnesia. Otherwise, if we knew ahead of time what was going to happen, it would invalidate the whole experience. Steve-O, um, having appeared in probably 36 or 39 separate stage productions, on stage as an actor, I mean. I've also directed many shows, but I've had a rich background in live theater. I can tell you that that isn't true. I've done dramatic roles in which, of course, I knew ahead of time what was going to happen in the next moment, in the next scene, because we rehearsed it for three weeks, and I knew exactly what the next scene was going to be, what the lines were going to be. That didn't stop me from feeling the emotions and feeling them deeply, as if it was happening to me for the first time. And all, and not that I am a great actor, but all really great actors would tell you that that's been exactly their experience. They cry real tears not make-believe tears, when they move through a particular scene that they've done for, for five years on Broadway, but they still have the emotional response because the mind cannot stop itself if it's truly engaged in the moment from responding in the way that love would call forth, even if they know that what's going on is play-acting, in a sense. You know, it, 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 it's, you wouldn't know what it cost me to have those people out there doing that. <laughs> <laughs> At the right time. Well, yeah, I, 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 I've paid the, 
feed them a lot of money to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me tell them this that. <laughs> so I'm not altogether convinced that knowing ahead of time uh, would stop us or prohibit us from having a an emotional response, a genuine one. Uh, I, I and I again I've I've encountered moments in in stage plays in which I've appeared uh, where I knew what was coming and even knowing what was coming triggered the emotional response that what occurred in the play was uh, designed to trigger. So um, that's that's so that's one thing I just wanted to say is that I'm not sure that we have to not know in order to have a genuine emotional response and have the experience that we came here to experience. But now, let me go back to something before that that you said that I also am not sure that I totally agree with. I don't think that uh, there's a blueprint. I don't think that, uh, that we have a contract that says, you know, on a certain day at a certain time, you're gonna sit uh, down with a man named Steve-O and have a conversation in which you make him terribly wrong for three and a half minutes. <laughs> and he laughs at it. Uh, I, I don't think that this experience was agreed upon by us, nor do I think the major events of my life were agreed upon in terms of the events themselves. So my understanding, because um, I, I ask God the same question. Wait a minute. How can there be a contract? How can there be an agreement and also be free will? It, they don't. They don't. They seem to be juxtaposed. So God said, "Ah, good question." The uh, understanding that I have, Stevo, is that um, events are not planned ahead of time. We don't have predestination and free will are mutually exclusive. But what the souls do agree with is to create certain emotional, emotionally filled opportunities. But how that will play out in terms of a specific event is, is not designed ahead of time. So to, to, to um, use the present example of your mother's last five years of her life as an example, she might have been... In fact, I don't think she might have. I think there's no question that she made an agreement with your soul. You guys made an agreement. How about if I provide you with an opportunity emotionally to grapple with deep personal sadness, maybe even at some level emotional injury, um, such that it would transform and change your life and bring you to a new understanding that you are going to go into your next lifetime in order to have and you you could have had that contract say, okay, I'll sign here, I, I, let's do that. So we agree on the emotional content that we're, we're going to seek to create for each other, but we don't agree on, oh, it's going to happen on the 14th of July at 2.30 in the afternoon, and I'm going to be having bed sores for five years, right. and this is how it's going to look, because that would make free will impossible. Right. So my understanding is that we agree on the emotional content, but we don't. You know, we're like we're like players at an orchestra, Steve. My the the analogy that God gave me was: there's a 67-piece orchestra, and by the way, I've conducted orchestras, so I know all about what this feels like. They're all playing Mozart, 
but one guy's playing a flute, one lady's playing a violin, one fellow's playing the timpani, and one man is on a saxophone. They're playing the same music, but in different ways, using different instruments. Hmm. So I think that this whole contract is an agreement on what music will play. Now that you know the score, you understand what I'm saying. <clears throat> right. Is that a play on words you love or what? I love it. <laughs> so, 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 now that, so, so we're all playing. We're all playing Mozart, but you're on the violin. You're on the cello. I'm on the timpani. You know, and and we're playing it the way we are playing it. And in that way, free will is memorialized. Free will is protected. Free will right. continues to be part of our experience. We freely choose to enter into particular interactions on the physical level as the way we have decided we're going to keep our agreement in terms of providing emotional content for each other to grow with. Okay. <clears throat> I think that there is a potential wrinkle here when we talk about other players in the universal game joining us and does that uh that can, can you help me understand what happens when when another player in the game becomes involved in my life <clears throat> i think it's important for us to understand that everything that's ever happened is happening now and ever will happen has already occurred right so when another person joins in in the interaction in some way or another um, they're also doing so, uh, I'm not sure where the wrinkle is, because they're also doing so as an expression of their free will. That is, they have a choice to do that or not to do that. And By the way, both things have occurred. See, it's very important for us to understand what's going on here. Both, let's just say, um, your co-host's name again is... Scott. Scott. And so let's just say that now Scott is sitting there and he's interacting with all of us. But he could, he, he, it was also a moment when we did this interview when Scott was not here at all. In fact, you never even met Scott. He wasn't <clears throat> even part of your life. Both things have happened. Right. And, and so what I was told in conversation, I know this sounds like I'm making it up as I go along, but really, this is really important because I, was asked, I asked these same kinds of questions in my dialogue with God. <clears throat> And she said, Neil, it's really very simple. You think there's only one timeline, but there are a hundred different timelines in which everything has occurred. And I said, I'm having a hard time conceptualizing that. I can hear the words, but I can't, I can't quite get that in my mind. <clears throat> and God said, okay, uh, have you ever played chess with a computer? I said, sure, I've played computer chess. God said, you do understand, of course, that all the moves have already been made. Every single move in the game has been made. So you play the game on Thursday, and you move, you know, king's king's pawn to king's pawn four or whatever, and and then the uh, and then the, the computer goes, does, makes its move, and you make your move, and it makes its move. How does it know what move to make? Is because it's already you, you've already made that move. It's already happened. But but, but on on Friday you, you play the same game and you make a different move. So you you can play the computer chess game and you have to understand that all the moves that are possible with all the players on the board at any given moment have already occurred. The game's been played already a thousand times. 
that's how they programmed the game because computer chess experts sat down and said, well, okay, but supposing you didn't move your knight there, supposing you moved it over here. And they, they, they took months programming the, the, the game so that no matter how you play it, the computer has an answer. I sat there, I played computer chess, Scotto, I mean, Steve-o, Scotto, Steve-o, whatever. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, I was I played the game, you know, and I, I, the computer would make its move and I'd go, I'd spend like two and a half, three minutes trying to figure out, let's see now, if I move the rook here, no, wait, 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 I'll move, no, no, if I did that, he's going to do that. Oh, you know, like you play chess. So I figured out all the moves. I thought, okay, I'll move over here. It took me three and a half minutes to make that move. The computer sees the move, it goes, mm-hmm. makes its move in one-tenth of a second. So w- w- wait a minute, don't you have to even think about it? It's already happened. <laughs> this is not a new thing for me. <laughs> right. So, so, so the answer to your question, is, I, as I understand it, steve is that when a person comes into your life, they're also exercising free will. And there have been many lifetimes, many times through the time tunnel, when that person did not come in, at, that, at that moment into your life. Um, I, I wasn't thinking as much of people... I was thinking, and I, 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 in my reading of the book, I'll, I'll highlight certain things. And uh, I, I was going through it, um, and there was uh, it, it said players with a capital P in the universal game, universal game, and they'll come into your uh, come into your life. And I didn't interpret that as people, but like more you know, spiritual entities, I, I suppose. I think that's a fair interpretation. My mind is telling me that that also could be true. Yeah. That we, we are visited by spiritual entities, angels, whatever, your guardian mm-hmm. angel, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and and I, I, by the way, I've had those experiences as well. Yeah, and, and the reason why I ask that is because I feel somewhat strongly that there were times in my life where, to, for lack of a better way to describe it, um, I, I, I want to say there were times when I wasn't at the wheel. Like, I, um, I, I did something... <clears throat> that makes no sense to me. Like, why did I do that? And um, I, I felt that it was important that, that this thing happen, but looking back on it, it, I just don't see, I don't understand why it happened. I don't understand why I did it. And I feel like I, feel like I wasn't at the wheel. Maybe there was some other player in the universal game that kind of stepped in and and somehow manipulated uh, what happened for a desired outcome. Now, I I reserve the right to be totally wrong about that, but I wanted to put that to you about, like, what what are your thoughts about if there ever being a time when I wasn't at the wheel because another spiritual entity manipulated what happened with me. I disagree with that particular description because that would also violate free will. Right, that makes sense. And so 
that another entity could not cause you to not be at the wheel. Okay. But here's what I do think happens in moments like that, because I've had those moments too. When it felt like I wasn't at the wheel, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> and it felt like I wasn't at the wheel, not because I wasn't at the wheel, but because I didn't know that I was. Right. And I didn't know that I was because I was at the wheel, to use the metaphor, driving the vehicle of my life from a different level of consciousness. I'm aware that we're functioning in every moment of our life at the subconscious, at the conscious, at the superconscious, and at the supraconscious level. And when we're responding from the supraconscious level, or even the superconscious level, we also often do things that we are not consciously aware of why we're doing that. What would cause me to do that? Why would I, like, just like you right. described, why, why, why would I do that? Um, so I think that those moments are moments when we are functioning at the super or supra conscious level, at a level that our conscious mind is not aware of. But that does not mean that the totality of who we are right. at all four levels is not at the wheel. It just means that we're not aware, aware that we are at the wheel. Right. It's kind of like <clears throat> you know, when you're sleeping and you're not aware that you're awake, but you are awake and you still think you're dreaming. Most of us have had that experience, only to realize, wait a minute, I, I didn't dream I so I didn't dream I heard that sound. I actually heard that sound. I'm, I'm, right. my God, I, my God, I, you mean I've been awake all this while? And most of us have had that experience of realizing that we're awake, but not knowing that we were awake while we were awake until we awaken to the fact that we're awake. It's important to know if you're awake and it's also really nice to know how well you slept last night, how much time was spent in REM sleep. Let me see right here. I had 32.7% of my time asleep last night was in REM sleep. That might indicate my body is making up for not getting enough REM sleep recently. How do I know that? Because I wear a whoop band. And if you listen to this podcast, then you know a lot of really awesome people wear whoop bands. Why? Because it's the most sophisticated fitness tracking device known to man. Plus, now it tells you how oxygenated your blood is. If there's anything unusual about your skin temperature. I mean, dude, it knows like if I'm skateboarding like I did yesterday. It keeps track of all the calories I'm burning, how my, how well I'm recovering. I'm just I love my Whoop band and I love the Whoop app. And if you go to Whoop.com, that's W-H-O-O-P.com, and use the promo code Stevo, you can get 10% off your membership. And I'm telling you, with the new Whoop 4.0 band and the uh, waterproof charger, man, it's never been more awesome to wear a Whoop band. So jump on this deal. It's 10% off your, your first order, and it is at whoop.com with the promo code Stevo. Now let's get back to it. Yeah. Um, I think in potentially an equally valid... Um, interpretation of you gotta it. love it right yeah <laughs> you gotta love i mean you gotta love the mystery you gotta love them you gotta love the mystery excuse me but oh no it's great i mean 
So are highly evolved beings operating at the supra conscious level, or is it just a different ball game at that? I think I think both are true. I'm not su- su- suggesting that highly evolved beings are interfering. See, highly evolved beings would never interfere with our life. They, 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 that's another reason why they couldn't do right. what uh, what you're suggesting, Steve. Because a highly evolved being would never want to have anything to do with your life that would control the moment for you right. and take your hands off the wheel. That would violate the ethics of a highly evolved being that said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. Right. I'll give him advice. I'll maybe give him a little, but I'm not going to take the wheel from him. It's, and then make him think that that, that he, you know, that he lost lost control of the car. So, so highly evolved beings would never do such a thing, in my understanding. Right. I think that that's that's very fair to say, and I think an equally valid interpretation would be that when I thought, like, what what I thought might have been another player stepping in and and manipulating my experience, uh, was actually me. Yeah, right, like that other player was me. Bingo. You know? So that's that's what I've been trying to say. Except you put it in ten seconds words, ten words, and I put it into one hundred and fifty words. Darn it! <laughs> At um, least <laughs> it, it was something that you just said too about the that would violate the ethics, and, and I think it wouldn't just violate the ethics of highly evolved beings, but it would violate the immutable laws of the universe. Well, of course, Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> what, what what was the prime directive? I can't. Well, the prime directive was you know you, you were not to not to interfere in any way in the uh, cultural or sociological or spiritual development of another civilization, even though you saw it was would see it was for their own good, not to interfere. That right. Was, that's the whole. That's the whole point of the prime directive. Mm-hmm. There was a a period of my life where I was experiencing what's called psychosis. Because I was ingesting it's just these, all of these substances, uh, you know, I would be awake for days on end, you know, doing cocaine and, and inhaling with inhalants and all these combinations of, of sleep deprivation and, and you know, acute, uh, you know, intoxication from the substances would bring about psychosis and my take on that still to this day you know approaching 15 years of chemical sobriety is that nice going by the way thank you um i i genuinely believe that by ingesting all those substances i managed to erode barriers between uh Maybe other dimensions, other in other situations. I, I, I hold in my belief that all of the experiences that I had with hearing voices, with having uh, tactile hallucinations, all of these experiences that I had were very, very real, and that by eroding the barriers of different compartments of the game, that I I let in I, I i consider it frequencies but but i let in you know uh, other energies other frequencies high frequencies low frequencies so i opened myself up to pretty dangerous stuff you know like the like high frequencies being angels low frequencies being demons 
and and I had all the, some some experiences really scary and some really wonderful and it's just it was I, I view it as a really crude approach to spiritual experience um, and uh, in these hallucinations the hearing the voices there was the, the I, I called it the committee you know and I would be kind of communicating with these this committee of uh, and and I remember the committee being very very clear on that rule that their hands are off they're not gonna interfere with anything but I just wonder what your thoughts are on that on psychosis and because at the time, I just wanted to, to keep in, in piling more substance and, you know, to keep these things happening. I had some really wild experiences. and That's the danger of it. The danger of it is that it becomes attractive enough at that level for us to want to continue. Now, I, I really can't answer your question directly, you know, what do I think of it, because I've never had an experience even close to that. So I don't really have an opinion, and I didn't ask in my conversations with God questions around that. Mm -hmm. So I've tried real hard in my life not to opine. Okay. <laughs> By the way, if you think it's easy to work that word into a sentence, try it sometime. <laughs> you can go years without being... I've heard it done once in my life. Yeah. This is the second... <clears throat> so, so I try to not offer opinions on things that, uh, that of, of which I have no experience, no background, no understanding, uh -huh. and I did not ask uh, in my conversations with God. But I, when I heard you talking about it just now, my mind was going, I hope that there's not going to be too attractive a, a picture painted here that would cause a person to say, well, hell, that's, I, could, I could see that, that is a Oof. good rationale, a good reason to ingest some things that maybe yeah. not be good for me to ingest or to imbibe or to... So we could, we could maybe send the wrong... Um, I, I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> I appreciate that. And um, there is a, uh, a, a wealth of evidence video evidence like um where i was was not an attractive place i i can assure that my my life was an absolute disaster and i was a, a very unlovely creature i i became at that time capable of of being very nasty um you know i i, I think it's a spiritual law that the way we treat others is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. And at that time in my life, the my, my self-esteem, my self-worth, my you know, everything about me was was degraded to a point that the way I treated others, I I I, I had tendencies to to wanna harm people's reputations, hurt their feelings. I just and 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 all of that behavior during that time um, brought about a level of, of guilt and, and shame and humiliation, which ultimately would become the greatest motivation for me to dedicate myself to a life of recovery, to not be that way again. So I, I love that you were sensitive to the idea that we might be 
that I might be glorifying the, the, these spiritual experiences when, in, in fact, they inadvertently, were, of course, inadvertently, yeah, but that it, someone else could could hear that and say, you know, that okay. sounds fun, yeah, right? Sounds like at least interesting. <clears throat> yeah, give it a try. Yeah, I, I don't recommend um, inviting demons <laughs> into your life. That that's yeah. really what what it was. Um, can, can I? just wrap my head around some things and maybe you can help me if I'm saying this right and have an understanding. All things are energy, right? Yes. That's my understanding. So consciousness. Well, plants, trees, people, we all vibrate at a certain frequency. People vibrate within a, a, a frequency spectrum, a spectrum the lower the vibration, you know, I heard Wayne Dyer talk about this, but I'm not sure how accurate and how to even test how fast the frequency levels are. But he, he's something along the lines of, you know, from 8,000 to 25,000 is like, you know, the average human population or whatever speed that frequency is. Then you start getting into the realm of like, you know, 30,000 to 50,000 and disease doesn't really exist at that frequency. And then you get, you know, 60 to 80 is, you know, Gandhi, Buddha, Mother Teresa, where now you walk like, you know, at a lower frequency, but at a higher level, like you walk into a party and there's just something about that person in the room. And you're like, man, you're kind of attracted to that person. Then as you get higher in the frequency, like Mother Teresa or um, you know, pe people come from villages to go flock to see this person like the attraction is there and everybody wants to go see this person and then a as you get to like you know the highest highest frequency is like jesus christ or you know the the mahavatars of the world I am i spot on to think that or am i off in some sense i don't know you don't know i didn't ask that question but i think that my mind feels that there's some truth, I'm not sure that the description is wholly, completely, and 1,000% accurate, but I think it's close to what could be true. I don't, I don't think there's any doubt that people are, and that every living thing, is, as you mentioned, every living thing is vibrating at a different frequency. And I don't think there's any doubt as well that the higher the frequency is at which they're vibrating, the more they tend to display, demonstrate, express what those high frequencies have made clear to them, what, what they've come to understand about who they are and why they're here. And I don't think there's any doubt at all that those high frequencies tend to be magnetic, mm -hmm. that we do, in fact, tend to be attracted to people like that. I knew a man like that, by the way, on a personal level, uh, that I that I appeared with at several events in the past 20 years. Uh, we didn't co-present, but he was appearing at the same event I was appearing at. His name was Thich Nhat Hanh, mm -hmm. and he was a Buddhist monk. He since celebrated his continuation day. But uh, I I was at several events with Thich Nhat Hanh, and I, and I, I promise you that and we had speakers, we always had speakers' dinners or speakers' receptions where the general public was not there, just the presenters were there. Mm -hmm. So there were only maybe 10 or 12, 15 of us, as opposed to 1,500. 
I'm in the room with, you know, like 10, 12, 15 other people. And Thich Nhat Hanh walks into the room. I promise you that without even looking at the doorway, looking, maybe talking to somebody else, everybody in that room knew that something incredible had just happened. Mm-hmm. And he walked in the room. He didn't say a word when he first walked in. We all knew that he was there. <laughs> it was, it was his, his energetic impacted and affected the entire room because of the frequency of, that he was bringing with him, that he was projecting. I wonder when you describe people coming from other villages and the, the, more, uh, the higher the level of the frequency, the more the magnetism. I can't help but react to that thinking that there's some pretty low vibrating people attract, you know, it seems that negativity almost attracts more. Like the, if you look at the media. I, I like what you're saying. That's a very good insight. When, when, when uh, Scott was talking about the higher frequency, I didn't hear him say the better. I heard yeah. him only say the higher. Right, the higher the fre- yeah, well, well, those lower v- frequency people or that come to the like, you like the lower frequency goes to the higher, and then they're leaving there <coughs> on a different frequency themselves. I think it's. But I think the point that Steve was making, and I'm going to agree with him, is that even so-called negative frequencies, or what we would, what we're kind of like intuitively wanting to call lower frequencies, but what we really mean are, are more negative. For instance, you know one of the highest frequencies that one can project into the universe is fear. Mm-hmm. And no one would suggest that fear is a positive frequency. We would call it a negative, a, a negative emotion. Yeah. So, so uh, likewise, there are um, people who project so-called, by our definition, by our current human definition, so-called negative energetics. But those energetics are vibrating very quickly. They're very powerful. Fear is one of the most powerful energetics that you could embrace. And when you project fear into the universe, you attract what you... Conversations with God told me that. Neil, you will attract what you fear. Wow, that's pretty heavy. You attract what you fear? It's a good thing I don't fear a bad diet because I got AG1 from Athletic Greens, baby. The most delicious, comprehensive, convenient daily nutrition there is. It plugs in every gap in my diet. I'm telling you, because it's loaded with 75 different vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens. I'm telling you, they load so much good stuff into this. I don't have to be afraid of anything about my diet. Plus, it's great for my gut health. It's great for my cognitive ability. I mean, dude, it's called Athletic Greens for a reason. And AG1 is the supplement of all supplements with everything you need. It is comprehensive and convenient. And if you go to athleticgreens.com slash stevo, they will give you five travel packs plus an entire year's supply of immune-boosting vitamin D with your first order. You can't beat it. Go to athleticgreens.com slash stevo and let's get back to it. Not because your frequency is so low, but because it's so powerful that fear and love are almost equally powerful in Mm -hmm. terms of the energetic that's sent into the universe. Of course, fear is nothing more than an expression of love. That is, if you didn't love anything, you'd fear nothing. 
If I didn't love my life, I wouldn't fear losing it. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't fear losing you. If I didn't love money, I wouldn't fear not having enough. You know, So fear is always an expression of something that you love. It's simply the other inverse. side of the coin. It's just the inverse expression. But it's this, So it has to it carries the same power, the same yeah. energetic, the same frequency, which is the point you made, and I agree with you completely. Yeah, the, the, so what, once what, again, Steve is wrong and you're right. Yeah, exactly. No, you're it's always that Scott's way. wrong. <laughs> right, it's always that. No. Um, yeah, that when the when the law of attraction phase came out, you know, in the early 2000s and and everybody was there's that book that or that movie that came out. Yeah. Maybe what the bleeper, I, I don't the remember, secret. the secret. And which I was in, by the way. Yeah. And uh the one thing that they uh, some people were talking about that got it wrong, law of attraction is there, but what they didn't touch upon was the law of resonance that what you put out will come back to you equally. So when you're like, okay, you know, I don't have any money. Like, okay, law of attraction, like I want money. Like, where's my money? It's going to come back to you at the same way. Whereas if you had a, like gratitude, like I already have all the money I need. And then all of a sudden that kind of starts showing up back in your life in, in that sense. You know how I've conceived of that in my, in my world? I, I agree with everything you've just said, uh, Scott. And how I was told that, what I was told in my, in my life by God, God said, I only have one word in my vocabulary. I know you think that I'm really verbose, that I have a lot of things to say, but the truth is, I have only one word in my vocabulary. Be love. Yes. Oh, right. So if you say, I want more money in my life, God says, yes, that's true, you do. I want, I want, I'm, I'm tired of living alone. I want, I want my perfect partner in my life. Yes, you do. Yeah, I'm afraid of, I'm afraid I might lose all that I've gained in my work so hard. I'm afraid I'm going to lose it. God said, yes, you do. <laughs> but if you say, you know, all the money I need is coming to me now, God equally says, yes, that's true. So what I've, what I've learned is that when I get that God says yes, there's only one word in God's vocabulary. Whatever I say, whatever I think, God says, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. You know why I agree with you? Because you are me. Because I've invested in you all the power to create your reality that I have invested in myself. That you are, in fact, a living demonstration and individuation of me. So, of course, I'm going to say yes to whatever you say because, my friend, your wish is my command. The The... The game-changing quote in your book that changed my life about money was when you were writing the God, and um, he responded with, you know, you're unhappy with your money situation because you're unhappy with your money situation. And that was like, oh, my God. That's, it, that summed up everything for me. When the secret wouldn't, you know, the, I, I, I read the, the Law of Attraction book. When, when I was in, in uh, early recovery, I was still in rehab. And I wonder if you've heard of this. I had a very, very scary reaction to it. I thought, oh, so w what I think will become my reality. And then it occurred to me, well, you know, they say if you, if you tell yourself, don't think of a pink elephant, then all of a sudden, all you can think of is a pink elephant. So by the rules of the law of attraction, what if... 
I tell myself, don't think my greatest fears because then they'll become a reality. That's what it is. The, the, what you think becomes your reality. Oh no. Now I'm telling myself, don't think about my biggest fears. Cause then that one, and then, oh no, now all I can think about is my greatest fears. So now my greatest fears are going to become my reality. Ah! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> in the hall of mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Don't I ended think up about in cancer in your left ward. leg. <laughs> that, that, that was uh, what started my journey oh, to the dude. psych ward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're in a hall of mirrors here. That's, that's a very interesting and wonderfully incisive uh, description of, in fact, some of the challenges we're all facing here. It's like, you know, going into the fun house at the carnival and all the mirrors are warped and, you know, and, and you're, you're in the hall of mirrors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're sending out is reflected back to you. What you're sending out is reflected back to you. And if you don't want to send it out, it's reflected back to you. But you know, that kind of a thing. Until you finally wake up one day and say, no, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. I can even decline that effect. The whole thing is an illusion. Wow. The whole thing is an illusion. I'm living in a the ten illusions of humans. The whole thing is made up. I can even describe that effect as beautifully as Steve as you just did now, and I can say no. I, I don't have to. I don't have to even find myself seduced by that impact. I can just say I'm above all of that. What I did that I found most helpful was to go back to the the notion that the way we treat others is a reflection of how we feel about ourselves. I could buy onto that because I, I saw that that was my experience. And I decided that the best way to change how I feel about myself it would be to flip that. So to the same rule would apply that if I can change the way that I treat others, the effect will be I'll be changing the way I feel about myself. There was a guy who made that point uh, a few years ago. He put it in a somewhat different way, but it was the exact same point. He said, do unto others as you would have it done unto you. (laughs) (laughs) It's the golden rule. he, he, He made the point. Exactly the point you just made. Sort of, yeah. Not sort of, exactly. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, I... I, uh, Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. How much much more clear could it be? You're exactly right. And and, and by the way, I just admire that you came to that awareness. Oh, wow. How I treat others is a reflection of how I feel about myself. And I can change how I feel about myself by treating others the way I want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Whoa, that's world changing, Stevo. It, it's it, life changing it, and world changing. Supposing that everybody on the planet got that piece of information tomorrow morning at nine o'clock, everything would change. It, mm-hmm. it, it's it's more um, about about uh, seizing upon the opportunity to feel like a guy who treats people well. You know, like uh, I, I, I was talking to a friend who's um, you know, having uh, relationship issues, and and I said, you know, that with with my fiance, 
I have uh, something I don't I don't always do it <clears throat> well, but when I do it, I benefit from it a lot, <clears throat> which is to view every situation I find myself in in my relationship as an opportunity for me to express myself as the person who I aspire to be. And it's a little way of, of taking something that, you know, maybe it's a pain in the butt, but if it's an opportunity for me to be a great guy, then yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go to the, to the vet at two in the morning because you think the dog might have eaten chocolate. Well, it probably didn't. It's going to be fine anyway, but... <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> That's a relationship-changing insight. I hope that all of the many, many, many people who view your programs, Steve-O, hear you. That's that's a, a relationship-changing insight. That's that's the the best thing I've ever done for my relationship is selfishly use it to feel good about being a good guy. <laughs> And to realize that even when the person across the room is not behaving or responding or demonstrating an aspect of themselves that you'd like them to demonstrate, even when they're being you know cruel or short or snippy or whatever, or unreasonable, two o'clock in the morning, the dog didn't have chocolate. I'm not going. You know, even when they're being unreasonable, that we can say, Oh, I see the gift here. I see the gift. That's the title of your next book. <laughs> no, really. That's the title of your next book. I See the Gift by Steve-O. All right. <clears throat> That's cool. Yeah, and the, the truth is it was probably Steve's Reese's Pieces wrapper and he blamed it on the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so he just went to the vet because he was like... You know what? Yeah. Just barking out the wrong tree. <laughs> can, can I ask you a question about the uh, the conversations with God movie and how accurate that was? Um, there was a scene there that I was interested in. Um, you were homeless. You started have you, you were sleeping on the couch. You were you started having the dialogue with God, and you hadn't had any money for a while. And then there was a part I believe that at the airport. You had uh, you're at the or the the diner at the cafe, and they made you an offer for four million dollars for for the the transcripts. And you're the 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 la in the in the show the lady turned it down, and you're like, "What are you doing?" It it was that a real situation that happened? Yes. And it, what were you thinking? It wasn't the lady that turned it down. Uh, I was here. My the guy turned it down. It was the lady who made the offer. Yes. Sorry, she, she didn't turn it down. She, she was, in fact, uh, the, the the president of, of a major publishing company, and my then publisher. She was wanting to buy the book from him, and and future books, and he turned it down, and I started to to chat. I said, "Well, I, but this is, this is as far as I got because he's under the table. He stepped on my foot. He slammed his foot, his his, his shoe on the top of my foot like." Shut up! <laughs> I'll handle this. But it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, my, my memory of it was it wasn't four million. It was a million. And then and then he and, and it, or maybe it was who knows. But I think that she offered a million. He looked at her and he said, "I, well, I can do that myself. I, I don't. I, I don't need you. I, we can do that on our own. My publishing company, the small publishing company that first put the book out." 
Then she came back with an offer of 1.5. It's my memory of it. Okay. She came back with an offer of one point, which in those days was worth about <laughs> in today's money more. But in any event, uh, she came back with she with fifty percent more, and then and then I wouldn't let him turn it down. I just said, but I, I asked her. I said, why Why do you want to? Why would you make an offer like that? What? Tell me what you see in this. And she said, I'll never forget her words. By the way, she said. Because I think your book could change the world. Mm. Mm. Is it true that Conversations with God, book one? Can you hold that question? Yeah, of course. Because, because I, we didn't get to your. Did you have a question behind that? Other than well, yeah, I think I, I mean it's like assuming living in a tent in Oregon, and you have zero dollars in your bank account. I mean, what are you sitting there thinking when somebody offers you a million dollars and you're and the guy turns it down? I mean, what's the fear there is like oh, it's never happening. Like, what were you thinking when 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 they turned it down? Like, were you like, oh my god, what did they just do? I just made a mistake, or yeah, I started to say, but well, well, he stepped on my foot. Yeah, <laughs> so, so you know, he didn't step on my foot. He slammed his shoe on my foot. Like, you know, shut the hell up. I'll handle this. The unspoken yeah. message. So so uh, yeah, but I did, I did think at first, you know, the guy's crazy. You know, why why would he turn that down? And because I knew I would benefit, obviously, as well. Um, but, so, yeah, I, I, I was pretty taken aback. Before that, when you had no money, and you, there was probably some resentment towards God about, I'm broke, I'm this, <clears throat> and then you wrote you wrote it on the couch, and, you know, you heard the quotes, you know, you'll be happy with your money situation when you're finally happy with your money situation. From that, did your, did your thought on money change? My thought on everything changed. And it was more of a gratitude. And then from that time, when everything changed to where you got that offer, like you were practicing the gratitude of money's coming my way or, you know. Yes, but that didn't stop me from, you mentioned about a half hour ago, you're in it and then you're out of it. Then you're in it, then you're yeah. out of it. And yeah. it was one of those moments. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was living really in the messages. I, I truly was. I, I felt like I was pretty much in that bubble, in that cocoon I had received the messages and I was practicing them and I was getting it and I was you know, and then this and this lady offers a million dollars and he he turns it down, and I I popped out of that bubble like that, <laughs> you know like wait a minute this transcends my current understanding, mm -hmm. <laughs> so so I did and and that's still my experience, you know that's still my experience that certain things happen, certain things occur, and I burst out of the place that I'm in, I burst out of the bubble, if you please, I, I find myself knowing what I know, but not being able to express or experience it in that moment. Now, I'll, I'll give myself this much, and without breaking my arm, patting myself on the back, I do it less now than I did before, so I've, I've reduced the number of moments like that, but I still have times when I think, like you talked about, you know, who is that mask man? Who's that guy who just did that, who just said that, or just responded in, in that way? When you know better. So, I don't think, I was gonna say, I was almost tempted to say, I don't think the game ever ends. But I think that it does. I'm, I'm gonna withdraw that thought because I, I have met people like Thich Nhat Hanh, 
or Byron Katie uh, and, and other people I've met in my life who have reached a level um, where they don't fall fall out. They don't fall out of the space. They, they don't reject what they already know. They don't abandon themselves. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I, so I, I abandon myself less now than I than I did 25 years ago. I'll give myself that, as I said. Yeah. But uh, I'm not really still where I want to be, and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to get to there. I'd like to get closer and closer and closer before I check out of here. I'm going to be 80 next year. And mm. Wow. I'd like to, uh, that was your cue to say you don't even look close to 80. Oh, yeah, look close to 80. <laughs> That's what I meant by wow. <laughs> do you still meditate every day except on days did. that you don't? No, I, yeah, I, I never did meditate every day. I do. Yeah, I don't. Uh, but that explains why you're so far more advanced. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> He's glowing over there. I, I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, w w let, let me retract that. I said I don't. I mean I don't meditate every day the way people describe meditation because they think it has to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. But I write every day. Mm -hmm. Every day of my life I'm writing something into the message and around the message and around my life and so forth. So my, my form of meditation really is to, is to write. And I write hours, not a few minutes here and there. From 7.30 in the morning until 4 in the afternoon, I'm at my keyboard either answering questions from readers or writing another article for that's been asked of me for a magazine, or writing for my website. I have a, I have a column called Ask Neil, where people, you know. Mm -hmm. So so I'm constantly, so that's my my form of meditation. People can meditate doing the dishes. Right. People can meditate walking down the street. And I, I, I talk about seven methods of meditation. So when I say I don't meditate every day, I mean not the way people right. think you're supposed to meditate. But I meditate in my way, and I sometimes meditate while I'm washing the dishes. And I experience the glass in my hand and the soap bubbles on that glass and the water dripping down in a way that I never did before. I see it sometimes for the first time. So meditation doesn't mean a particular action. It's a particular mental function that allows you to focus in a totally different way on what's going on in your life including focusing on nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a quick question, and then I wanted to get you to... Okay, quick question. Do you still hold the world record for being on the New York Times bestseller list longer than any other book with Conversations with God Book One? I don't know. I understand it was almost three years. Like, I believe it was 140, 131 uh, three, weeks. 137 weeks, I think. 137 weeks. I don't know. I, I, by the way, that's not, not any nonfiction. We need to say nonfiction. Oh, gotcha. Because fiction books have been on the bestseller list for, you know, five, eight, ten years, you know, a long time. But nonfiction books typically do not remain on the bestseller list for that long. Got it. Um, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't track that. I, 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 uh, well, I just, I, I love it because yeah. I think that, that when I describe conversations with God, I say that, you know, it's this, this book that fundamentally changed the way I, I view life and the universe, that it, um, it's a dialogue. I described that you were at a place in your life, you felt frustrated and that you had been in the habit of writing letters, which you wouldn't necessarily send, but it was an, 
<clears throat> an exercise in venting that you would, you know, write a letter to someone and maybe just file it away. <clears throat> but you were at such a point of despair. My that, father taught me that, by the way. Yeah, it's a good practice. Yeah, when I was angry, he'd say, "Write a letter and put it on the mantelpiece. Look yeah. at it. To, look at it tomorrow. And if you still feel tomorrow after you read it, you want to send it, then send it." Mm. Yeah, the twenty-four hour rule. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so at this certain point, you were experiencing such despair, you decided, I'm going to write a letter to God. And, you know, why is my life such a struggle? Why is it, you know, everything like that? And that you intuitively received a response, which was, are you really looking for answers to these questions or are you just venting? And, um, you know, it, it's for a lot of people, it's a difficult pill to swallow that, that you're able to write both sides of the dialogue, yours and God's. And to the extent that that's a difficult pill for some people to swallow, we look at how long it was on the New York Times bestseller list, which adds some credibility, you know, lends some, some some weight to it. you know. And for me, as I, I say, it's not necessarily for everybody, but for me, it is absolutely my, like, it, to me, it's the most important thing. Um, what I'm interested in, because I don't think it's been made clear, um, can you describe how the the intuitive responses come? I think there was some suggestion that like uh, you felt your hand moving or like was there? Yeah, I don't want to make uh, the case for automatic writing. I, I, I did feel my hand moving, but not in the sense that people think of automatic writing. Mm -hmm. Someone else has kind of like taken right, right, over right. your body and is writing. More in the sense of if you've ever uh, owed your mom a letter, and you start writing, and and you uh, and your your hand is moving without you really thinking seriously about, dear mom, I'm really sorry, I've let it go this far. You know, please forgive me. I, I, I've been very busy, and you find yourself, you find your hand moving without you really consciously thinking of what I want to write, mm -hmm. and then and then after you get all that out of the way, then you start actually writing. The truth is why I'm sending you this notice. Right, 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 right. <laughs> I need $200. <laughs> can, yeah. you, can you help me out? You know, or whatever, you know, whatever the, the real reason is. So, so in that sense, but, but not in the sense of automatic writing. You know, how it, how it occurred to me, how it felt to me was I heard a voice. And it was in, when I very first heard it in the very first moment, I would have sworn someone was in the room with me. And I whipped, whipped around, and there was nobody behind me. I heard a voice that felt like it was over my right shoulder. And of course, there was no one there, and I thought, terrific. Not only am I furious, not only am I angry with life, angry with God, now I'm going out of my mind. I'm hearing, hearing voices. You know all about that. <laughs> so then I thought, terrific. But then, the... I no longer I, I dismissed the idea that that I you know that I'm actually hearing voices out loud, but then I began to just receive thoughts, just you know just heard heard ideas words in my head, in response to what I was what I was writing. Do you really want answers to all these questions, or are you just venting? I remember writing furiously in answer to the to, to what I was being asked. Yeah, I am venting. If you've got answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. Yeah. And the response I got immediately was, wouldn't you rather be sure as heaven? <laughs> I said, what's that supposed to mean? And I realized I was caught up in a two-way. I didn't even try to describe it. I just went with it. 
and and before I knew it, I was involved in a question answer question answer question answer process that I never stopped to ask myself about what's going on here, why is this happening, who, who, what is it? I just let myself, and then I began receiving thoughts that never either never occurred to me before, or that violated every thought I ever did hold. Wow. You know, like there's no such thing as right and wrong. Or there are no victims and no villains in the world. Or there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. That was the one stopped me. I remember dropping the pen when I was given. There's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I literally dropped the pen like like it was red hot. I thought, what's, what? what is this? What's going on here? But what, what did you describe as it's not Ten Commandments, it's Ten Suggestions or... Yeah, it's it's not it's not uh, ten commandments. It's ten uh, commitments. Okay, ten yeah, commitments. A... And and what she said was, you will know because because you know I I asked the question when Moses came down from the mountaintop. He said he had been given you know this tablet with ten commandments, and he's talking to his people about how they should then behave. And uh, what I was told was, no, 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 no. God didn't say these are commandments. These are things you must do or else. Right. But you've asked, how, you, how can I tell my people that, they're, that they will know that they're on the path? And you'll know, what you, you'll know you're on the path. I'll make this commitment to you. You will know you're on the path because when you're on the path, you shall not use the name of God in vain. You won't lie shall not lie. You won't lie. You, you, you won't commit adultery. You won't do these things because when you're on the path, you simply won't do those things. Mm -hmm. And Moses heard it as you won't do those things, meaning you, you better not. <laughs> and so he kind of flipped it around. Right. You know, and so, but, but I wrote the, rewrote the Ten Commandments as the Ten Commitments as I was given in the dialogue. You know, uh, Steve-O, I got a letter about Oh, about a year later, a year after that, I guess, after the book came out, from a, a minister, a, a Christian minister in New Hampshire, I think. And he said, Dear Mr. Walsh, I can't tell, I, I lead a congregation, uh, you know, the first whatever church, whatever. In. He said, I can't say that I agree with your theology, but I will say this much. You have opened the discussion about God in a way that few people have done in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. My congregation is talking about nothing else but what you said. So you have, you have broken down the barrier that peace, because in most churches you can't even talk about this stuff. You can't, I mean, you can't question it. Right. Not a lot, not a lot. And of course there are countries where if you question it, they put you to death. Yeah. They sentence you to death because you're not supposed to question what the scripture says and what you've been taught. So... I thought, well, if the worst that I've done is open the subject for re-exploration, fair enough. Fair enough. I don't, and I want to make I want to make something really clear, Steve, if I can, since you've been kind enough to give me the floor here. I need people to understand that I know. I didn't write this book. The wisdom, the insights, the statements. The truths that are offered in all nine of the Conversations with God dialogue books are not mine and did not come from me. I simply took dictation. 
I simply wrote down what I was hearing, questioned it like anybody would, like you would, like anybody else would, questioned it like, how can that be true? Wait a minute, what about this? Yeah, but. I had bunches of yeah, buts. Yeah, but. So all I did was add my yeah, buts. And then I carefully took down what I was given, and I just took dictation. And I sent it to the publisher. I will say this to the various publishers. Nobody has ever edited my books. You know, I've been asked that. What do the editors do when they get your books? None of the publishers mm. who have published my books could find an editor on the workroom floor. Who wants to edit God? <laughs> <laughs> so, so nobody... No, so the, the books have been published exactly the way they came off the pen for the first three and off the keyboard for the other for the other books. Nobody has ever changed a single word in those books. So, for what it's worth, I took dictation and they published it and the rest, as they say, is history. I love it. I, I would say we, we should end there, but I wanted to... Uh, there was one thing, and I believe it was in book two, and I loved it so much. It was a point about there being no such thing as time. And in the dialogue, God said, look at how ridiculous, and I'm paraphrasing, but look at how ridiculous your attempt at creating a construct of time is. In order to, to make it work, you guys are trying so hard to make this work that you've got to not include a day uh, every four years to make it work. You're trying to just squeeze, you know, you got your leap year. And then like with the meteor time, like this is just, there's this infinitesimal fraction of a, of a, you know, of, of a second that just doesn't quite fit. So every so often you got to not have a second. Like it's doesn't, do you not see how ridiculous this construct of times it, it's, it's a. Making it all up. Yeah, I, I loved that. Yeah, and and all you have to do to realize that there really is no such thing as time is live to your 80. <laughs> the closer I get to my 80th birthday, which is now just you know a year away or so, less than a year away, uh, the, the more I realize. I woke up actually this very morning thinking about when I was 24 and when I was 14 and when I was 29 and 36, and it, it really does feel like yesterday. So... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm clear that time does not exist in the way that we think that it does. There's only one moment, and that's right here, right now. I had, I wonder what, what, what you think of this with regards to time. <clears throat> Many years ago, probably about 20 years ago, I was sitting there and I, I thought, hmm. it, it used to be a commonly held belief that the world was flat, that actually the sailors were afraid to ride their ships too far because they thought they would fall off the end of the earth. And, and we've evolved enough in our, in our, in our uh, science and our understanding that, that that's become an absurd thought because you can't fall off of the, the end of the earth because the earth is round. And then I asked my question, when, <clears throat> I wonder when 
we may have evolved enough to find it equally absurd that we can fall off the end of time. Hmm. You know, the, we have this idea of time as a linear thing with a beginning and an end. <clears throat> but if much the same as the earth is round, we can't fall off the end of the earth, it would follow that time is round. There's no beginning or end. You don't fall off. Time is round, dude. Yeah, which is which is uh, said in conversations with God. Take you know, God said, take that. <clears throat> I know. I remember she gave me an illustration. You, th you think time is a straight line that goes. It starts here and it ends here, whenever that is. You know, the end of the world or whatever you think. But God said, no, no. Grab that line. Grab that line. And, <clears throat> and marry it, and you'll see that it's. Everything is a circle. Yeah. And he said to me, not just time, but everything. Everything is a circle. Not only is it a circle, <clears throat> everything is a circle, which is actually traveling in a circle, around a circle. Bingo. <clears throat> and I also thought it was <clears throat> really fascinating <clears throat> that in book one, you, you asked about... Is there any limit to how small something can get or how big something can get? And the answer from God was that you can cut something in half. You have two equal pieces. And then you can take those pieces, you can cut them in half. And there is no point, like literally for infinity, you can always cut something in half. There's no, <clears throat> there's no end to how small something can get. And just and, and it goes the other way as well. So, <clears throat> so conceivably, in the space of an atom is all of the information, the history, the future, the possible outcomes can fit like it. In an atom, the, the smallest particle that we can fathom yeah, smaller would be, than an atom would be an atom. Yeah, I don't know whether we that we're aware of anything smaller. Subatomic particles. There are subatomic <laughs> particles. Sub so within a subatomic particle, we can fit the entire universe. Yeah, and what she said to me was, if you if you go to outer space and look at the universe, you will see. Nothing different from if you were, could stand far enough away from your body and look at the particles of your body or the particles <clears throat> inside the particles of your body. It's all the same construction. So, but you know, the real, the real the question, and these are fascinating observations that we've all become aware of at some level or another, but the real question is, so what does that have to do with life? For instance, if everything's a circle, Neil, there's Neil sitting there, and Steve and Neil are agreeing. Everything is a circle. But if I'm watching this podcast, i got to go, fascinating, but so what? What does it have to do with me at 4 o'clock tomorrow afternoon? I, that's a, talk to me about stuff that matters to me and produces functionality in my life. And that's what we'd be doing on our second interview because we're going way over time here. Yeah. <clears throat> but if we had another hour and a half, we could take a look at, you know, what is the functionality? Because if, if the messages from God or messages that we're receiving from the cosmos, from the universe, from the highly evolved beings or whatever, 
or from the place of wisdom that dwells within all of us, have no functional applicability, then it becomes a big so what. Yeah. And I'm not interested. You know, a theology that has no applicability is bankrupt. And I'm not interested in being spiritually bankrupt. So what I've tried to do in the books I've written that I actually have written as opposed to the books that I took dictation for, um, what I've tried to do in the books that I've written following the dialogue is to articulate the applicability of these principles that were given to us in the Conversations with God dialogues. How does that apply in relationship, in the world of business, in the world of work, with regard to money, with regard to health, with regard to... How does that all apply? And there's way too much there for us to get into here, but I can tell you that nothing that we are given in those words of wisdom that I took dictation on is not applicable in a functional, practical way in everyday life, including the idea that it's all a circle. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it. <clears throat> I love it. I love you, Neil. Thank you for... Uh... Let me tell you something I admire about you before, before you say goodbye to me. I really admire the fact that you're so honest. You're visible. You're transparent. You don't try to hide behind anything. You're just completely honest and transparent. And it's hard to find people who are willing to go there and do it fearlessly. Not just go there, but <laughs> go, go there fearlessly. So you, when you do that, you're a demonstration to all who watch your podcast. You're a wonderful demonstration and a wonderful model. And that's something that I admire about you. I've seen your podcast. This is it's nice to be on it, but I've actually watched some clips of your podcast and I think, wow, this guy's in the moment, totally present. <laughs> and he is transparent. He's hiding nothing. He's being totally visible. That takes a level of courage. To say nothing about the courage it took you to overcome your addictions. So you know what, pal? Nice going. Hey, thank you so much, Neil. You're my, you're my favorite. You're my, you're, you're, my, you're my favorite teacher. You're uh, my favorite author. You're my favorite thinker. And I, this meant the world to me. The check's in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> Did I tell you or what? That was just a big deal, man. And thank you guys for sticking around. Candidly, uh, I'm guessing this isn't going to be the biggest uh, performer of an episode, but it was just important to me. And for you guys making it to the end of this one, man, that's more special to me than ever. So thank you, especially for this one. And what, what else can I tell you? Um, we're in Australia. It has, it's been challenging, frankly. The, the tour bus that we rented when it rains outside, it rains inside because there's just hella holes in the roof. But that stopped mattering when the bus totally broke down. And uh, yeah, we were on the side of the highway, so I uh, quite literally hitchhiked 
to the show that night. I mean, I got out on the road hitchhiking like 10 minutes. We had like eight different cars and trucks pulled over, like trying to get photos and stuff. So hitchhiking is actually pretty easy for me in Australia. But yeah, dude, the bus stayed broke down. So we took a six-hour cab ride to the show the day after that. Now I'm uh, in this traveling sauna of an RV. The, the air conditioning doesn't work. <laughs> Woo! Man, nothing I won't do to get to my shows, baby. And thank you, Australia, for making them such a hit. With that, thank you again. I love you all.